0: It's good to be opening the scriptures together again. And uh, it's a privilege of mine to, a weighty privilege and a weighty responsibility to open the word of God and endeavor to uh, glean from it truths that God would have us learn. And uh, the commandment that we're looking at this morning is a simple one, uh, one that we know right from wrong, right from when we're children and dare I say it, I believe that nature even itself teaches that it's wrong to steal. This is the eighth commandment in the second table of the law and as we have said thus far and I repeat, you will have noticed that these ten words, because that's what the ten commandments are called, are just not randomly thrown together, Without any specific order. The first table that we have looked at of four commands, what that emphasizes is a right relationship with God. And um, also, how believers, those who have been saved by God's grace through faith, are to respond to the Lord. That's what the first table of the law emphasizes. But when we come to the second table of six commands, we see that this deals with having a right relationship and a right response to others, whether it be our wife or our husband or our family or our workmates or people in general. That's what the second table of the Lord deals with. And this order of the first and second table is vitally important because it's only when our personal relationship with the Lord is right can we then please the Lord and glorify him with how we rightly respond and treat others? In other words, you get a lot of good people out there doing a lot of good things, but if they haven't got their right relationship with God, it won't count for naught as far as God is concerned. So what we have seen in the second table of the law is how God's righteous standard for living is to be lived out by his children. Or put it in another way, the second table of the law of six commands, what it does, it puts on display God's righteous standard and it tells us what his standard will look like in everyday living. So in these commands, God's righteous standard is put up against the unrighteous and worldly and cultural standards. But there is more. These commands are also given for the protection and the flourishing of society as they are obeyed in practice. And you will know, and even in this fair land of Australia and in many other countries of the West, they were actually, the laws of the land, were originally based and founded on these ten words from God. Far removed from it in this day and age, but originally, and we have benefit as a nation because of that. We have flourished. It has protected us as we have obeyed them. And as we look at the second table, we will see that the fifth command, how does it protect a society in general? This, because this fifth command of God protects ordained headship and authority. Now you do away with authority and headship and you're in trouble. And we see heaps of that, sad to say, in our land today. Whether it's authority in the law circles or whether it's authority in the home or it's authority in the church. This fifth command teaches us about headship and authority. The sixth command, it protects life. Thou shalt not murder. The seventh command, it protects the family. And here this eighth command What this eighth command does, it protects the rightful ownership of property. Thomas Watson, the Puritan of old, once wrote this. As the holiness of God sets him against immorality in the command, you shall not commit adultery. So the justice of God sets him against thievery and robbery in the command, you shall not steal. This command also reminds us that if we really believe in God's providence in our lives, if we really believe that our our neighbor is made in the image of God, like we have been talking about early in our series, and if we really care about others more than we care about ourselves as Christians, we should do, then we will never distrust God's providence so as to take from someone something that does not belong to us. We'll never do that. We will never steal from our neighbor to provide for our own needs. We will never do injury to our neighbor's welfare knowing they bear the image of God. And to steal from whoever that might be, that is a sin that denigrates our fellow man and denies the providence of God in our own lives. It's basically saying, God, you haven't provided for me. The circumstances are being overridden by everything else, therefore, so I've got to take a shortcut. But more specifically, this commandment, like all others, is one of the fundamental building blocks for a sane and orderly and God honoring silent society. It has powerful, also relevant lessons to teach us today, and that's what we want to major on. What I want to do this morning, as I've done on other mornings, is um, look at the negative prohibition in this command, as well as the implied positive prescription of this command, okay? That's how we've been looking at these commands. We haven't been just looking on the negative. We've been looking at what the negative implies, and so we'll do that this morning. But before we do get there, We're going to have a look at the scope of this command. The scope of this command. I often use when preparing my lessons, my messages, my trust of theosaurus. So I haven't got very good word power up here and so I need to go to the theosaurus to find synonyms of words in order to make my point or to simply express an idea in a better way, or even a single word in another way. I often do that. You probably might have picked it up. And so when I looked up the word steal, there were stacks of synonyms. synonyms, To name a few. Rob, pilfer, take, filch, defraud, lift, kidnap, strip, poach plagiarize, fleece, rip off, hijack, and the list goes on. It's unreal. But to keep it in the bounds of legality, our civil lawyers define stealing to be the laying hands unjustly on that which is another's. But as we look at steal in its Hebrew form, This word steal in its Hebrew form, by the way, it's the word ganav or ganav. It's interesting that it not only has the idea of illegally taking another's property by stealth force or whatever other deceitful means, it's more comprehensive than that. It entails more than that. What it does, it also carries with it the weighty matter of respecting and honoring what God has given others to own. You got that? And God gives explanations of this. He illustrates this in the both Old and the New Testament over and over. And I'll just give you a few from the Old for a start and we'll look at a few from the New later on. In Leviticus 19, 11 and 13, God defines theft to be a serious violation of rightful ownership of property and even one's own dignity. This is what he says, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him, the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. There's a whole lot of stacked in that. In other words, don't steal. These are ways you can steal, but don't do it. He also says in Exodus 22, verses verses 1, and and this is a commentary, might I add, on our command, um, Thou shalt not steal. Exodus 22, uh, verse 1 says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Now, that's more than a smack on the hand, right? (laughs) It's a pity... Our justice system wouldn't act more like this and give the rightful honor to a person's private property when penalties are handed out. So right at the outset, we need to understand that this Eighth Command, what it does, it clearly implies that we should cultivate in ourselves and in others a reverential respect for the private property for others. And now you parents out there, this is an absolute imperative for you toward your children. If there's ever in a day when we see young kids growing up and we could just put a blanket over and say, oh, they've got no respect for someone else's property. We often hear that. And so it's imperative that you teach your children to rightly respect another's property. And so the reason for this healthy respect is because what a man or a woman or what any person owns should be considered by us as his or her gift from God. You got that? I wonder if we think of things like that. Because that's how we should do. Is that how we value what others have? Even when we haven't got it, or what they have. Our society doesn't value things like that, that's for sure. I just looked up some statistics, in the latest statistics they had on thievery, and I just thought of would look up on one aspect, and that was anyone had their car stolen? Probably some have here. Uh, yeah, Robert has. Yeah, and uh, he's probably got the only car that's worth stealing. Good on you. <laughs> and um, anyway, uh, in 2010, 2011, there was 182 million dollars paid out by 182 billion dollars paid out by insurance companies. Sorry, million dollars paid out by insurance companies for auto theft alone in one year. 182 million. That was claimed insurance on theft all because a lack of respect of someone else's property. Just another little uh, sidetrack here. A couple of weeks ago, my brother was reiterating this story because I, I wanted to catch up with everyone who was back on in New Zealand. And as you know, my auntie died and uh, my brother and sister were able to go to her funeral. And, um, and, uh, and they traveled down in my sister's car from Auckland to a place called Whakatane. Russell was quite pleased about that because my sister's car happens to be one of the latest Ford Mustangs. And all was well until one of my cousins noted Russell getting into the driver's seat of this at the funeral and his instant reaction was a tirade of seriously disparaging and critical mar- remarks. How could a pastor own such a car and look a person in the face? Now, you might be thinking the same, but just bear with me. My cousin was, of course, corrected over his wrong assumption. But then Russell challenged him. He says, but then again he said, what if this car was mine? So what if this car was mine? Well, my cousin's toxic answer showed a blatant lack of respect and honor for what God may well have given another to be entrusted with. And so he verbally robbed another of the dignity and respect of God-given ownership. Probably a bit of a weak illustration, but you know where I'm heading. So as we see, this command has great scope for our personal deliberation. And here in this second command, what we do see is that man has the God-given right to own property. And he has the right to own property. And the right to own property is not to be violated in any way by another person so the scope of this command not only tells a prohibition of robbery and theft and pilfering and the like but it also includes any practice any practice where seeking gain you got this we're seeking gain at the loss or expense of another is involved and this was particularly challenging to me in many ways 'Cause I love getting a good steal. You know, if I can get a super, super bargain, I can beat a person down from what something's worth the blow, shame on me. Shame on me. We shouldn't do that. And what I include, gambling is also thrown into this. It it's it's seeking to gain at the loss or expense of others. See, when you win at the tables or whatever, when you put money on a horse, you may come home with some money, but you know what? You have caused the loss or gain of someone else. So gambling is stealing. And so we'll look at what this might look like um, a little later as in more ways because it does come in many forms and i'm sure uh some of us will be guilty of some of these things so let us look now at some of the positive prescriptions implied in this command okay the positive principles of this command you know solomon puts a positive spin on this command i really like solomon's proverbs and he says in proverbs 13 11 wealth obtained by fraud dwindles okay you ever heard about these sharks and and um, drug lords and you know they're wealthy they make millions and then quite often you track their stories and a few years later they're broke and busted and 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 that is so true you know they've it just dwindles wealth obtained by fraud dwindles but the one who gathers by labor increases it you got that in other words there's nothing wrong with working hard to increase your wealth In other words, if you want to increase your wealth, you work hard for it. This command not to steal is also affirmed in the New Testament, as I suggested before. And there's no other text that cites this command in a more positive light than what Paul does to the Ephesian believers. Let me read Ephesians 4, and I'll put it up on the screen for you. I hope you can read that. Can you read it? I can. It says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. And so in this text we see there are some positive statements that directly relate to this 8th command. Simply put, if we are not to steal to survive, what do we do? It now means that we are to work to provide for our means and the means of our family. But let us have a look at these positive statements a little more carefully this morning. And um, and the first one is, without any explanation needed, it is clear that as God's image bearers, we are to work. You got that? We are to work. That's a creational mandate. We've talked about that before. We are to work so to provide for our needs. And this is not new, by the way. This has been an age-old, century-old, right from the beginning problem. Paul, remember the Apostle Paul had to rebuke the Thessalonian church because there were some in the church who called themselves Christians and it says they were living in a what? A disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. And what he does then is he commands them with the full authority of God behind his inspired words. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. 2 Thessalonians three eleven to 12. Folks, we live in an amazing country where there are taxpayer benefits for those who suffer disabilities and also for those who cannot or are unable to work. No other country like it. But let me also say there is a whole lot of abusive thievery going on by those who can work, but do not see this as a priority in their lives. Paul rebuked these kind of thieves in his day by saying, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either, either. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. That's how strongly he came down down on this. And so, folks, this should not be so among us, right? As much as possible, each believing, able-bodied person should go all out and work to provide for his own needs and for the needs of his family in a productive and an industrious way. But there is a second positive to this command uh, in our text here. And what is also prescribed here is that an attitude of giving should replace an attitude of taking. You see that? The Apostle Paul commanded, He who steals, steal no longer. And as is often the case in Scripture, we're not commanded to cease from a sinful practice without replacing it with a godly practice. For example, Paul stresses this when he addresses the Colossian believers. In chapter 3 of Colossians he says, he speaks of laying aside, he speaks of considering dead, the old sinful ways of life. In other words, do not practice these things anymore. But he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't leave them with a negative. He then adds the positive. He goes on to say put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who has created him, and more put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience and also put on the love which is the bond of unity. And back in our text we see the same principle in action. We are to stop stealing and in its place we're to take up work which is productive and good. Why? Why should we do that? So that we may have something to share with the one who has a need. We often miss that, don't we? We often miss that. Jesus Christ, as you know, is in the transformational business. And that transforming begins when people by faith believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. What the Lord does when a person comes to faith in Christ, that personal faith that we were talking about here this morning, the Lord changes the heart by grace through faith. What for? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, the Lord changes our hearts before he changes our habits. A leopard cannot change his spots. But the Lord by his grace and mercy through faith changed people who were once self-centered thieves into selfless givers to others in need. That's what he does. We are not to steal. We are not to increase our wealth. Not to heap up treasures on earth. We are to work to increase our wealth in order to give. There is another positive. Prescription implied in this command and we need to pursue and learn what it is to be content with all that God and Christ has provided for us. How contented are we? We're not talking about here being content necessarily with what we have, although we are to be content with what we have. The scriptures tell us that. But where are we searching and seeking our contentedness? and we need to cultivate and be much in prayer for an attitude of contentment. Contentment in the person of Jesus Christ as the source of all that we need in life and such value Him and see Him and understand Him to be our ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment. Because, folks, if Jesus is not the source of our ultimate satisfaction, you know what's going to happen? You will resort to worldly means of filling the gap. Peter insists on this in 2 Peter 1 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, you see that? Everything to life and godliness. That's to all the necessary needs of life and to all our spiritual needs, life and godliness. He's granted that to us in the person of Christ through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I'm also reminded of the prayerful proverb in chapter 30, verse 9. The proverb goes like this, and you can understand it like a prayer that i not be full and deny you and say who is the lord or that i may not be in want and steal and profane the name of my god so the writer of the proverbs he, of this proverb he didn't want to be he didn't want to be full and flush where he could easily forget god because that's how it happens right when everything's going honky-dory and well and we've got heaps of money in the bank and the mortgage is getting paid off easily we've got a nice car etc and we've got an exciting life ahead in that type of environment it is so easily to forget god well we can be full and flush where we can easily forget god or it can be that everything is so scant and destitute we are tempted to steal and the writer of the Proverbs didn't want any of them. You see, the one missing component in this life principle here is contentment. There was no contentment. No contentment in being full and flush, but neither was there any contentment to be scant and destitute. And so the writer of the Proverbs wanted to be content in something else in the world can offer. And can I encourage you here, only contentment, real contentment, ongoing contentment, will be found in the person of Jesus Christ. The writer of the Hebrews says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13, 5, 6. Folks, we need to have an attitude like the Apostle Paul testified. I love his attitude towards stuff and everything and whether it was wealth or poverty this is what he says, I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to be scant and destitute. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. In other words, full and flush. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned the secret to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 12, 13 Folks, the command not to steal should teach us contentment, right? Not in riches, not in wealth, but whatever our lot is, whatever the providence of God has brought us into, we are to be content because Christ is in control. We need to be content where Christ has brought us and his eternal blessings that he has provided for us. And as we obey this command, you know what? You shall not steal. May we be equally taken up with these positive prescriptions. What I want to do now, though, is uh, just briefly uh, look at this command in its negative perspective. And uh, in doing so, hopefully to put some real practical legs on this command uh, for our daily living. The negative command or prohibition of this command... Just for reference sake, again, I can think of no other more indicting verse that tells us of the seriousness of this sin of stealing more than what Paul reiterates to the Corinthian church. You see, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, what he does there is he, he lists a whole host of the most heinous and horrible sins. And please note, What a smack in the middle of it. He warns them that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is what that verse says. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Can't get plainer than that, right? Nothing can be plainer than that. So, broadly speaking, stealing falls into two categories as we have a look at what stealing is in its negative prohibition. We have active stealing and passive stealing. You may think that's some fancy words. We're not trying to dumb down what stealing is, but we're going to have a look at them. Active stealing is aggressively, willfully and maliciously taking what belongs to someone else through a variety of means and I can leave that to your imagination as you would know. And in Leviticus 6, the Bible even gives us illustrations of what that would look like. And we find several forms there in chapter 6 of what active stealing looks like. We have embezzling where what has been entrusted to a person is used for selfish purchase. Then we see in chapter 6 also that we have outright robbery, where property is taken by force. We have extortion, where one gains possession of another's property by using illegal authority or charging inflated prices for something. As I was thinking about this, you will remember when John the Baptist was preaching and um, some Roman soldiers and tax collectors came to believe the Gospel of John. They believed his message that the Messiah was uh, was was here and was going to and to make way for the Lord. And so they accepted his message and were baptized by John. And so you can understand it. You can see it happening. Okay, well, well uh, I'm a Roman soldier. So what do I do now? And I'm a tax collector, one of the most despised people, so what do I do now? This is what John says to them. Collect no more than what you are ordered to. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, I'm quoting here from Luke 3:13 and 14, and, and some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. We also see kidnapping as another active form of stealing spoken of Deuteronomy 24 in verse 7, a heinous sin. Now, most likely none of us here would be guilty of any one of these active forms of stealing and so it should be right. If we were, we'll do some time and uh, where the law steps in. But what about passive Stealing. Before we suggest some contemporary forms of this, we need to look at a couple of examples from the scriptures. Passive stealing is generally, not always, but generally we're owing to negligence and carelessness. It results in the loss of another. In Exodus 22, we have several descriptions of how a man's slackness, I call it, deprives a neighbor of his property. At verse 5, in Exodus 22, if you are there, we read, If a man lets a field or a vineyard be grazed bare and lets his animals loose so that it grazes in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. And being a farmer from way back, I... Had experience now and again of this. I remember when I was on holiday, to my horror, the neighbor had been negligent and um, allowed his cattle to burst through a, a perfectly good boundary fence and eat all my grass. <laughs> but he made restitution. He gave me some good big bales of hay, and I appreciated that. This is very relevant. For example, especially here in South Australia where grass and bushfires are, they happen, right? I think if you remember the big bushfire, it was through the negligence of someone using a grinder or, or, or lighting a fire outside when he shouldn't have been negligence. And through that he stole huge amounts of property, houses, etc., etc., animals from other people. Also in Leviticus six 3, we, we're told that the failure to return someone uh, something lost to its owner is stealing. This is one that's common to us. In other words, though no robbery or breaking an entry is involved in this, the old adage, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, is just another excuse for stealing. It really is. There are numerous forms of passive stealing that we do. to challenge ourselves in our day. And I'll just name a few as I'll whip through them here. Paying people in cash so neither of you have to report is an income. A stealing, folks, sorry. Falsifying tax returns, making false or inflated insurance claims, plagiarizing the work of another and calling it your own is stealing. You students will know that. You're not allowed to do that. Using any copyrighted material inappropriately is stealing. That's why we sing hymns up here. We have at the bottom that we have paid for the use of the right of singing these hymns. Agreeing to do something and then not doing it, it's stealing. Refusing to abide by the contract that you might write or write up or agree is also stealing. Borrowing money that you don't intend to pay back is stealing. Taking supplies from work to your home is stealing. Not paying your employee a fair wage is stealing. Charging more than something is worth. These are all forms of passive stealing, but stealing still the same. And the list could go on and on describing these. And might I say, and passing, paying your way, you need to pay your way. We live in a country these days where, I know there's even statistics and TV programs um, uh, about how the, the evolution of the home, where you have 25, 30, 35-year-olds still living with their parents. And quite a few of them are just bludging off their parents. I would like to think that they would pay their way, but we have too many who would just stay with their parents and then not pay their way. That's stealing. These things should not be so amongst us, right? You shall not steal. But there is one more passive form of stealing that is of vital importance. And um, I believe, I know I do to some degree, like many of you will be guilty of, and that is robbing God. Well, we can call it spiritual theft. Just to name a few ways in which we can rob God is that we rob God when we withhold our giving. Malachi is very clear on that. He talks about those who do not bring their tithe to the temple. They rob God. Also, not using—you yeah, not using your spiritual gift, and by the way, every truly born-again believer is being gifted by God spiritually to build up and encourage the saints in the local assembly. Okay? You got that? that? Don't take my word for it. Read the scriptures. Go to Ephesians 4. you read all about it. And by you not using that gift, by you being indifferent, by you staying away from church, and by you making other priorities for everything else and not using your gift in this local church, you are stealing. You are stealing from the body of Christ the Lord's people. We steal from God when we fail to worship as we ought or when we set our own concerns and private interests ahead of His. But the most flagrant and common way in which men rob God is when we fail to give Him the praise He deserves. Did you know, did you know that according to Romans 1, 18 to 21, unsaved men and women are condemned for failing to give God his due praise. In other words, they hold back due praise, so therefore they're stealing from their creator. Condemned because even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They rob him of what he deserves. In conclusion, we'll wrap this up. To obey this command is is obedience that must come from the heart that God and grace has changed through faith in Jesus Christ so if any here this morning are not saved if you're not a Christian if you haven't been born again I'm putting all these synonyms to it to get the point across again if you don't personally trust Jesus Christ as your savior If you have not come to the cross of Jesus Christ and in faith accepted his death as full payment for your sin, all the honest living that you can produce and be involved in in the world will not meet God's requirements for your salvation. You need to repent and believe and trust him. So for the believer here this morning, to obey this command, we need to take positive steps in our lives. We can't be indifferent about it. To allow the Spirit of God to continually transform us, right? He not only transformed us salvifically when we were saved, when we came to Him in faith, but He continues to work on us through the Word, through the indwelling Spirit, and slowly transforming us. And in a coming day, in a coming day, we will be bodily transformed because then we will be transformed and have bodies like unto His own glorious body. There'll be no more sin, no more temptation. But until then, we've got to yield to the Spirit of God and to the truth of God and His transforming grace. But we've got to take positive steps. We can't just say, okay, lay it on me, Lord, and expect it all to be done to us. We've got to be disciplined. We've got to take positive steps. We've got to be proactive. And I've got a few lists here, and this is mainly from Arthur Pink's Ten Commandments his commentary on his Ten Commandments. And he suggests, and I think they're very good suggestions and I'll leave them with you. Give yourself to honest labour and seek to promote the public good because it is idle people who are most tempted to take shortcuts. Quit being selfish by being proactive in doing things for others. Thought of that? getting some of our older folks a cup of tea go up to them and say hey would you like me to bring you a cup of tea open the door for them just even greet them give them a kiss on the cheek and say hey we really love you in the lord we value you there's so much we could be proactive quit being selfish and start doing things properly. give generously Give your time, your efforts. And then by that I mean it can even go over into to study. You students who are studying, study hard. Head down and work hard. Train for that greater goal, for that, that position. And, and you guys who are already in work, take that promotion when it's offered to you. Nothing wrong with that. Don't remember, it's okay to own property. The Lord just entrusts it to us. Take that promotion. Work to share what you have and become a giver rather than a taker. Remind yourself that in everything you do, you represent the Lord. You know that? That's what you do. Everything you do, you need to remind ourselves. Paul counseled the Philippian church in this. He said in chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look on your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, folks, the Lord Jesus calls for nothing less than what he himself exemplified nothing less than a complete reversal of the attitudes and action of a thief you shall not steal trust the lord will add his blessing to these few thoughts this morning shall we pray our father in heaven some of these truths are plain and simple but Lord, so profound and, and we just thank you for challenging us, the speaker included. We can become slack and negligent. We've become lazy. We can become so self-occupied at the expense of others but Lord, give us a heart like the Lord Jesus where he considered others before he considered himself. Not that we'll ever reach the perfection of that stage, but Lord, there is vast areas of movement we can move. So Father, help us, we pray. Watch over us as our families fellowship together during the week in our workplace. Protect us, we pray. Guard our lips, our testimony. May it be such that it points to the Saviour. And so Lord, we give thanks now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.